Let's pray. God, in, in actuality, uh, 10,000 reasons is just scratching the surface of the reasons that we have to praise you. It is, a, it, is a, in, it is the joy of our lives that you have called us your sons and daughters. And we thank you and we praise you for it. Regardless of what we all bring into this service this morning, here in person or on the live stream, regardless of the changing circumstances, circumstances in our lives, you are unchanging. You are the rock and we lean on you. We ask now, God, that you would turn our hearts to you, that you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to receive what it is that you have for us this morning. Thank you for the time of worship that we have had. And now we ask that you would do nothing less than speak to us through your word. I pray that you would give me just the right words to communicate the beauty and truth of who you are, the preciousness of your gospel in these moments. We love you, God, and we want to love you more, but we can only do that in your power, so we ask that you would help us too. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning once again. Morning. That's good. It's wonderful to be with you. You would think as many times as I've done this, I would have my passage ready before I got up here. Uh, we're in Colossians today. Colossians chapter 1, just a couple of verses. Verses 28 and 29. Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29. Give you, uh, give you a minute to get there. Nah, I'll give you like 15 seconds to get there. And if you don't have a Bible, we'll show it on the screen. This is what it says. Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29. It says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I loved, loved, loved basketball when I was growing up. And I was pretty sure that I was pretty good at basketball. Now, when I was growing up, like the, I think the AAU circuit wasn't what it is today and kind of the travel teams weren't quite what they are today. Uh, so the first opportunity that I really had to be told whether I was good at basketball or not was in the seventh grade, which was the first year there was a school basketball team. Went to tryouts in seventh grade for the school basketball team, pretty confident uh, you know, kind of wondering, you, you know, like, will I be the, the leading scorer or the second leading scorer on the team? Maybe if I'm the second leading scorer, I'll be the top assist guy. Uh, went to tryouts, and apparently, I was not as good at basketball as I thought I was because I was cut. I, I heard an ouch. Thank you. 27 years, still stings. Um... So, you know, I figured that was an anomaly uh, that, you know, someone made, a, there was, mistakes were made, 
right? Uh, but but it, it, was, it was what it was. I was crushed. And, uh, and so we said, we'll get him next year. So came back next year in eighth grade for basketball tryouts. Was uh, maybe a little bit less confident than I'd been in seventh grade, but still knew I was a pretty phenomenal basketball player. And so, you know, I figured the, 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 the wrongs of the previous year would be righted. And as you can probably expect, based on how I'm setting it up, I was cut again in eighth grade. I can still remember, I counted the years, it was 26 years ago, I can still remember 26 years later, the car ride home with my dad in his gray Ford Taurus station wagon. You know, barely holding the tears back. And I got home that afternoon after being cut for the, for the second year in a row from the school basketball team. And I expected as I came home what a lot of us would expect in that situation, that I was going to get all kinds of sympathy and support when I got home. And you know, I just think about it now with my own kids or any of us who have kids. If, if they face that kind of rejection two years in a row, what do we want to do? Just be like, oh, my poor baby. That, that, that stupid coach wouldn't know greatness if it punched him in the nose. Like, you lay here while I warm up a glass of milk for you. Right? That's what I thought. But it's not what I got. And I got actually one of the great lessons of my entire life, which I have carried with me all the way to this day and will carry with me to the day I die. Came in, the, came in the, the garage door into the back hall of my house. Came around the corner into the kitchen and dining area and there was a desk there and my mom was sitting at it. And, and either I was crying or I was on the verge of crying and I told her I'd been cut again. And this is what she said. What did you expect? What did you do differently this past year to expect that there would be a different outcome when you went to tryouts this year? And I know what a lot of you are probably thinking because it's what I thought in the moment. Mom, you are cold. <laughs> but she was exactly right. I hadn't done anything different in the past year to change who I was as a basketball player to expect that there would be any different outcome the following year. I had just still continued to be the lazy, entitled 12-year-old that I was the year before. I played rec league basketball for a couple of Saturdays in the winter. I played basketball video games and I watched the NBA on TV. And I thought that was gonna be good enough for me to show up at basketball tryouts and display my greatness to the world. But apparently, it was not. I didn't do anything to change who I was as a player and expect that there would be anything different in the outcome on the other end. Now, this is not a sermon on parenting, though we may come back to that story someday when we do talk about parenting. Uh, this is a sermon about uh, what I think, not what I think, what a lot of people think, a lot of really smart people think, is one of the great shortcomings in the church today. And that's the big C church, not little c ALCF church. I think I am on pretty solid ground when I say this. I think I can speak for virtually all of us here or watching online when I say we all want to change. If I, I'm not going to ask you to, but if I asked in this room, who is happy with who they are today and doesn't want anything different in the future, I don't suspect a lot of hands would go up. Conversely, if I said who in this room would like to see some things or who watching online would like to see some things change in their life, most of the hands are going to go up. 
because most of us are aiming at some kind of change. Most of us are not exactly happy with exactly who we are as we sit here today. And that's not even a spiritual statement. Every advertising and marketing campaign in the history of the world is getting at the idea that people are wanting change, right? We all want change, and I have good news and I have bad news as it relates to that statement. The good news is this. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, that is what he is all about. He is all about change. Following Jesus with our lives, the expectation is that it is reasonable and expect, we should expect that there is going to be change in our lives. When we make Jesus Lord of our lives, his spirit indwells us and he begins a process in us called sanctification whereby he changes us from who we were into something different than who we were. But here's the catch, and I want to tread really lightly here because this is, a, this is a tension that we have to manage. While scripture is clear that the process of sanctification, of being changed, is something that God does inside of us, we play a part in that process. We have some work to do in the process of changing from who we, are, who we were into who God is making us into. Now, I wanna be really clear. We do not preach a works righteousness here. We do not preach that you can do anything in and of yourself, in and of your own power to make God love you, to earn his favor, to earn his grace. Nothing like that. They, his favor, his grace, his mercy, his salvation, they are gifts. We don't do anything to earn that. We'll take it. But when we make Jesus Christ Lord of our life, we have a role to play in that change that is happening in our lives. I've, I said this in a sermon a long time ago, and I want to say it again. Jesus is not a Roomba. He's not an, you know what a Roomba is? The little vacuum that goes around by itself. Jesus is not a Roomba who goes around cleaning up the messes in our lives while we sit on the couch and watch Netflix. We have a role to play in the work that God is doing in our lives. It's a mystery. Paul, in this passage that I just read, in the context of it, he's talking about the mystery of the gospel. And one of those mysteries is it's all God's work, but we play a part in it. So that's the good news. Change is possible. I said there was bad news, and some of you were like, maybe he's not going to get to the bad news. I'll get to the bad news. The bad news is this. That, that role that we play in our own changing lives is called discipleship. And we're not good at it. That, that's the bad news. For so many people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, we approach our faith the same way I approached basketball tryouts in middle school. If I just show up on a few Sundays, watch a good preacher on YouTube once in a while, listen to some worship in my car, then the rest should probably take care of itself. But that is not the way that discipleship works. That is not the way that following Jesus works. That is not the way we see real, lasting, and meaningful change in our lives. The church, the big C church, has not done a great job of discipleship. Listen to what theologian Dallas Willard says about it in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. Dallas Willard says, non-discipleship is the elephant in the church. It is not the many moral failures financial abuses, and a lot of other abuses that we could talk about, or amazing general similarity between Christians and non-Christians, these are only the effects of the underlying problem. Discipleship is, a, is essential 
to what it means to follow Jesus Christ, and it has not gotten the attention that it deserves in the Christian church. So, we're going to do our best here at ALCF to buck that trend. We are in a little mini-series right now. If you might just be joining with us today for the first time, we're preaching in a long series on Mark. We've taken a four-week break from that series. As we, as a church, sit in a season of change and transition and some uncertainty about the future, uh, we are talking about what the vision and values are of ALCF. And the way we have framed it is, regardless of the season we're in, regardless of the size of our church, regardless of where the building is, this vision and these values are things we can lean into uh, regardless of our circumstances. So two weeks ago, we talked about what this church is all about. Why are we here? And we said, we are here to know Jesus and to make him known. And last week, this week, and next week, we are talking about the three core values that we want to ruthlessly cultivate here at ALCF that we believe will be like three legs of a stool that hold up that vision to know Jesus and make him known. So last week we talked about community. We talked about how essential it is that ALCF is a place of authentic community where we actually know people and are known by people. And we are going to build on that value today by talking about discipleship. The second core value that we just want to constantly run everything we do at ALCF through the lens of is firstly community, secondly discipleship, and next week will be mission. I'm not trying to give away the, the theme of next week, but next week we're going to talk about mission. So this week, we are going to talk about how we are going to try to cultivate a culture of intentional discipleship here at ALCF. It's a theme that's all over the New Testament. It's kind of all over the Old Testament too, if you really want to look into it uh, that way. Uh, but I've chosen to root this passage not in a traditional discipleship passage, but in these two verses from Colossians that I just read, which I think actually paint a beautiful and concise picture of what discipleship is and what it looks like. So today, using these two verses out of Colossians, we're going to try and answer three questions about discipleship. What is it? Why is it a core value and how do we do it? What is discipleship? Why is discipleship a core value and how do we do discipleship? So the first question is, what is discipleship? Look with me back at verse 28, the first half of it. This is Paul writing to the church in Colossae and he is describing his own ministry and this is what he says. He says, him, talking about Jesus Christ, he says, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Now, you will notice the word disciple does not show up in that passage, but, or discipleship or discipling, but I believe that is exactly what it is getting at. Disciple, discipleship, they are words we throw around a lot in the church, but oftentimes we have a hard time defining what they are. If you don't think it's important, just hear this, this statistic. In the New Testament, the word disciple shows up 269 times. The word Christian shows up three times. The word disciple, the English word disciple, is, comes from the same family, same family of words as the word discipline. Both of them come from the Latin word pupil, or the Latin word that pupil comes from, which gets at the idea of a student or a learner. But again, Dallas Willard, theologian Dallas Willard, this is what Dallas, Dallas Willard, this is what he says a disciple is. A disciple is a learner a student, an apprentice, a practitioner, even if only a beginner. Disciples of Jesus are people who do not just profess certain views as their own, 
but apply their growing understanding of life in the kingdom of heaven to every aspect of their life on earth. So what is a disciple? It is a student. It is a learner, but it is more than that. It is a student or a learner or an apprentice who is taking what they are learning and applying it to the way that they live their lives. A disciple is someone whose lifestyle, whose way of living is being changed by the things that they are learning. So that's a disciple. What is discipleship? Well, this is where it gets a little bit uh, like a two-way street because we're all called to be disciples. We're all called to be learning from the teacher, Jesus, and applying that to our lives. But as Paul says in verse 28, He's speaking about his ministry, but later in chapter 3, he makes it clear that this is for everyone to do. He says, him we, we proclaim, warning and teaching in all wisdom. So what is he getting at there? We are not called just to be disciples. We are called to be disciplers. So just as we are being discipled, we are also called not only to listen to Jesus being proclaimed, not only to be warned and taught, we are also called to proclaim Jesus to warn and teach others. It is a two-way street where we are called to be both the disciple and the discipler. So this is what uh, Alex Absalom and Bobby Harrington say discipleship is in their book, Discipleship That Fits. They say discipleship is an intentional process of investing in a life-on-life -life relationship where the person of Jesus Christ and the values of the kingdom of God are being formed to be reproduced in another life. Him we proclaim, warning and teaching. We both listen to the proclamation. We both receive warning and teaching, but we also proclaim him. We also warn and teach others. That is a call on the life of everyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. When I was in school, didn't happen often, but every couple of years I can remember we would have in our classroom a student teacher. Probably a lot of you have had student teachers in your classes. Many of you, or some of you, have actually probably been student teachers. The student teacher and the students in a classroom share a lot of similarities. They are both there to learn, right? But there is a critical difference. The students in a classroom are there to get knowledge. They're there to get mastery over a subject. The student teacher is there to learn how to be like the teacher. The students are not trying to be like the teacher. They know about a subject. The student teacher is there to get to know the teacher. The student teacher is there to get to know the teacher so that they can be like the teacher. And that is what discipleship is. Discipleship is not the student role. It is the student teacher role where we are learning from someone so that we can become like them. That's that one that we're learning from. The teacher is Jesus. Just want to make sure that's clear as I, as I say this. Discipleship is an apprenticeship. It is following someone and learning from them, not just to, to gain mastery over a subject matter, you can know this book inside and out and not be a disciple. Because it is not just about knowing what this book has to say or who it is about. It is about knowing the person that this book is about and taking that and using it in your life to change the way you live your life. So what is discipleship? It is the process of being conformed to the image of God's son. Discipleship is becoming more like Jesus. 
in the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we talk, the way that we parent, the way that we manage, the way that we work and do leisure and vacation, the way that we spend our money. What is discipleship? It is the process of becoming like the teacher. Him we proclaim, warning and teaching. So that's what is discipleship. Second question we want to answer is, why is discipleship a core value here at ALCF? And I'm glad you asked. Uh, two answers. The first is this. And this is kind of what I would call the Sunday school answer. Uh, and that's really a good answer. Because God tells us to do it. Probably the most famous passage on discipleship, and one I could have easily used as our text for this morning, is Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. This is the Great Commission. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples before he returns to heaven, to the Father, to the right hand of the Father. And what does he say to them? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let, me, let us just draw one thing out of this passage. What does Jesus say? Go therefore and be disciples. Go therefore and make disciples. It, he's telling us like, while I'm gone, you have something to do. And it is to help others in their journey of being transformed from who they were into who I am. Make disciples. If I can borrow a phrase from our other series right now, he's saying, let's go. We have a job to do. So why is discipleship a core value at ALCF? One, simply because God commands it. But two, and this is what we're going to see in our text, because it's what God hopes for and expects for each one of our lives. Look at the second half of verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Why is Paul doing this? He's saying because there is a version of everyone that God intends for them. And part of our job as his family is to help them get to that end point. Part of our job as the, the body of Christ is to help each other move towards maturity. Now the word used here for mature in Greek is actually not super easy to translate. And so you'll see in other uh, tra English translations of this passage, it will say, instead of mature, it will say perfect. But it comes from the family of Greek words that get at the idea of fulfillment or completion or an, an end goal or maturity or perfection. So what Paul is saying in this passage is that we have a version of ourselves that God intends for us. And it is not the version we start out our lives as. And part of the process of following Jesus is us helping each other to become that mature person that he has called us to be, that, that vision that he has for us. Why is discipleship, why is discipleship a core value? Why, why do we think it is so important here at ALCF? Because if I can go back to what we started with, we're all aiming at change. We're all aiming at change. We don't want to stay who we are. We want to become the mature people that he has called us to be. And we need each other to do that. We need each other to proclaim him and to warn and to teach so that we may present everyone mature. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic last year, our oldest child, who is a daughter, picked up a new hobby, uh, and it was gardening. So with the, uh, with the advice 
the help and the financial backing of her grandmother. Uh, same grandmother from the beginning of the story. Which, just an aside, this has nothing to do with my sermon. My 12-year-old doesn't play basketball. If she did, and she was cut, do you know what her grandmother would tell her? My poor baby. That coach doesn't know greatness. If it wouldn't know greatness, if it punched him in the nose, what can I, what can I get you? And it's the way it should be. It's the way it should be. It's the way it should be. Uh, but with the help of that grandmother, our oldest daughter started gardening. And so she got some pots and some soil and some uh, tomato seeds and the, uh, the yellow things that go in there, the trellises or whatever you call it. And she planted those seeds and she put fertilizer on them and she called them her babies. And she watered those things and she loved those things and the tomatoes grew and they were delicious, at least the ones that the, that the squirrels didn't get. And this year she added peppers and the peppers are delicious too. But imagine if she had done all of that, got the, got the planters and the soil and the fertilizer and the seeds and the trellises and watered them day after day and put them in the right sunlight and nothing happened. What would be the logical conclusion? Something is wrong. Something is wrong with these because this is not the way it is supposed to be. They are supposed to grow. They are supposed to change. They are supposed to bear fruit. And the same thing is true in a church. If we are not growing, if we are not changing, if we are not bearing fruit, the only logical conclusion is something is radically wrong. So why is, why is discipleship a core value here at ALCF? Because it is what the Christian life is all about. There's another quote, I don't have a slide for it, and I think it's from the same book. Dallas Willard says, most churches aim at conversions and hope that discipleship happens. They should be aiming at discipleship and hoping that conversions happen. Because this is not about just getting people in the door and saving them from the fires of hell. That is part of it. But it is about being conformed to the image of God's Son. And so if I can just push a little bit and get up in our business a little bit this morning and ask a question that might be a little bit uncomfortable, can I do that? I'm going to. If we could take a survey of the people who are closest to us, our spouses, our significant others, our children, our parents, our close friends, or maybe even take it out wider, like our classmates and our, our teammates and our coworkers. If we could ask them, have you seen changes in Gary over the years? What would their answer be? Because at some level, the answer should be yes. Now that is not to say that, that we should all be perfect today. The process of discipleship, the process of change is a lifelong process of fits and starts and screwing up and doing it again and God of second chances, here I am again and one step forward and two steps backward. But if we have the spirit of God living inside of us and if we are engaged with his body, a local church like Abundant Life Christian Fellowship, we should be able to look back in the rearview mirror of our lives and the people who are closest should be able to to with us and say they are not the person they were three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, he's not perfect. Gary's not perfect, but he used to be super angry. 
And I still see it a little bit today, but it's not as much as it used to be. He used to be so sarcastic. And he's just a little bit gentler today. These are hypotheticals. These are not, this is, I'm, just, I'm just using myself instead of someone here whose name is here. He, he, he used to be just full of anxiety and frustration. And he's just, he's just a little bit calmer today. We are aiming at change. We are not here just to come and observe a show. We are here to become the mature spiritual people that God intends for us to be. And that is not going to happen by default. It is not going to happen because we play video games and watch TV. It is going to happen because we engage in an intentional process where we join with God to move towards the picture of person that he has for us. We are here to present everyone mature. That is why discipleship is a core value at ALCF. So what is discipleship? Why is it a core value? And then finally, how do we do it? How do we do discipleship? Now, let me just preface this by saying, the church for 2,000 years has been trying to figure out how to do discipleship. So we are not going to clear this up in the next seven minutes. But I want to just lay the groundwork for what it could look like, what it might look like for us to have a culture of intentional discipleship here at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. So here's the one thing I want you to get from this. If you've kind of been like tuning in, tuning out, this guy's dragging on for a long time. He's, he's only, you know, a little bit boring. Uh, this is the moment where it's like, pay attention. This is the one thing. If you take away nothing else from this sermon, this is the one thing I want you to take away from it. How do we do discipleship? Intentionally. Intentionally. How do we do discipleship? We do it intentionally. Look now at verse 29. Look at what Paul says. For this, what is the this? To present everyone mature. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. What is Paul saying there? That it just happens naturally? That as long as we just show up, it kind of happens and it's easy? Paul says, I toil, I struggle. That word struggle in Greek is agonizomai. It's where we get our word agony from. It is work. It is hard work. It doesn't come naturally. It's not easy. It's not just going to happen by default. To move towards the picture of maturity that God has for each one of us, it is work. It is toil and it is struggle. And it must be done intentionally. You don't just wing your work, you do it intentionally. And the same is true of discipleship. But, but one more thing, please don't catch this. The second half of that verse, do we do it in our own power? Absolutely not. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. And this is just taking us back to what I said at the beginning. It is attention. Do we change ourselves? Do we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps? Do we figure out how to become better people just because we dig in and show more discipline? Not at all. We become mature because Jesus Christ's power is at work inside of us to change us and to make us more like him. But it is toil and it is struggle because we have a part to play in it. How do we do discipleship? We must do it intentionally. I want to frame it like this. Uh, I have several kids, so I think about it in the context of my own relationship with my children, but it doesn't have to be a parent-child relationship. It can be a spouse or, or any, any other type of relationship. 
in a relationship like me with my kids, I cannot force them to go deep with me. I cannot, I cannot force them to, sh- to share what is really on their hearts, to share what they are really working through, what they are really wrestling with, and what they are really struggling with. But I can create spaces where those conversations can happen. So if I never spend one-on-one time with my children, if I never create opportunities for us to have conversations about things that really matter, how can I ever hope that those things are actually going to happen? Now, just because I take one of them out for breakfast or go for a walk with one of them, that doesn't mean that some meaningful, deep conversation is going to happen. doesn't mean that at all. But at least the opportunity is there. The space has been created for it to happen. And that is what we are going to aim at here at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. We cannot cause ourselves to change, but we can create the spaces where discipleship and change can happen. As I stand here before you today, I do not have a fully formed plan uh, for what that looks like. And I know we got a church full of engineers and computer programmers who are like, I need the instructions. We're, We're getting there. We're getting there. I have an idea of what I think this could look like here at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. And and here's what I think it can be. I want everyone who calls ALCF their church home to be able to articulate what our pathway of discipleship is here at ALCF. It is not just going to be this, well, we hope it's happening in our growth groups. We do hope it's happening in our growth groups. But I want us to have an intentional pathway for what does discipleship look like. When you are exploring what is Christianity or have just become a Christian, what does discipleship look like in that season? There are some amazing curriculums programs. One of them is called Alpha. Another one's called Christianity Explored. I would love to see our church on a regular interval offer a class like that for people who are exploring what Christianity is all about or who have just become Christians. They are amazing programs. I led one when I was in seminary. It was one of the highlights of my life. We're going to need people who are willing to help us run those programs. I want to aim at and work on what does it look like to have an intentional program of discipleship in our growth groups and in our small groups and in our ministries. How do we help train people in what does it look like to do intentional discipleship in those small group situations? And then here's the other thing that I'm just dreaming about for our church. I want someday and in some way to unleash in our congregation a whole mess in a good way, of one-on-one and one-on-two and one-on-three discipling relationships, intentional, planned discipling relationships where we help you with an idea of what that can look like. And I want, I want all over the Bay Area, people from Abundant Life Christian Fellowship meeting for coffee, meeting for breakfast, getting together in the afternoon once a week for a year, doing an intentional discipleship program with each other studying God's word together and sharing with each other what are you learning in this season? Because we are all called to this. Discipleship, it is not extra credit for the extra spiritual. It is not just for the pastor and the elders and the staff and the volunteers. Discipleship is what God has called every one of his followers to. Both ways, to be a disciple and to help make disciples. And again, I've just, uh, I had someone in our congregation tell me a few weeks ago, I like being challenged when I come to church. And so I'm towing that line this morning. We don't do a good job of this. 
So many of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we are not making disciples. And if we one day are going to stand before God and give an account of our lives, and I'm not using some scare tactic here, I don't know the questions he's going to ask, but if he asks, what did you do to make disciples? So many of us are going to be like, I tithed. Work, work, you God, you know how busy work was. And, and you know how crazy it was when the kids were little at home. And I provided well for my family. And those are all good things. And there should be discipleship happening in the home. But part of the essence of what it means to follow Jesus Christ is to help others along in their own transformation. Now, I know the pushback. I know it, I know it, I know it because I feel it myself. Who am I? Who am I to lead someone else in their walk with Christ? I hardly know my Bible. I haven't been a Christian for that long. I got too many issues in my own life. But here's the deal. Whether you have been following Jesus for 50 years or for five days, there is somebody who has walking with him, been walking with him for a shorter amount of time than that. If you got saved yesterday, there is somebody who is going to be saved today and they are looking for someone to come alongside them and show them the ropes and teach them what they know and say, I've been there. This is what it looks like. My dream is that we are a church that is loaded with intentional discipleship. And if you're sitting here saying, I like that, I want to be a part of that, that is good. Because it is not something I or the staff and elders can pull off on our own. That is a whole church effort. It is the essence of what it means to follow Jesus. We are aiming at change and we are all in it together. May we be a church that is leaning into discipleship. May it not be said of us that the elephant in that church is that they don't really do discipleship. So um, I, I gave it one more year. I was like ninth grade, I'll try out one more time. You know where this is going too, don't you? And I didn't do the same things in the year between eighth and ninth grade. I changed what I was doing. I spent so many hours out in my driveway working on my jump shot, working on my ball handling skills. I can still remember I would envision tryouts the next year. I would envision the guys I'd be going up against and I would envision what I was going to do to them. It, not, not in that way. What I was going to do in, in, in tryouts when I got there. And I went out for the team in ninth grade and I made the team and it was amazing. Now, you don't, that's, listen, you do not need to clap for me making the freshman basketball team 26 years ago. I got cut in 10th grade, but that's another illustration for another day. But listen, it was work. It was work. I worked at it. It wasn't easy and it wasn't, didn't come naturally and it didn't just happen by default. And I played less video games, which would have been a lot more fun than playing basketball in Cleveland in December outside. And I watched less basketball on TV. I worked at it. And because I worked at it, I saw changes and discipleship is the same thing. There is no way that we are going to be a church that is about discipleship if we cannot do what discipleship calls us to do and that is to become like our teacher. And what is the example that our teacher set for us? He came not to be served, but to serve. He emptied himself and took on the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The one we are trying to be like died for us. And if we are going to become like him, then the call is for us to follow him into that, and that is to die for, to ourselves.
There is no way we can take the time and effort it takes to become a discipling culture if we are living to ourselves. There are just too many distractions. There are just too many other things. There's too many good excuses not to do it. But if we can die with Christ, then we can be a church that is sacrificing our time, our talents, and our treasures to help everyone in our body present ourselves mature. That is what we are aiming at. That is what we can be. And a church like that will be unstoppable for the kingdom of God. It's not going to happen by default. It's not going to happen just hopefully. We got to be intentional. And that's what we're going to be. We will proclaim Jesus, warning and teaching, toiling and struggling, so that we may present everyone mature. Let's pray. God, one of the just um, the most amazing truths about what it means to make you Lord of our lives is that though you love us as we are and see us as we are and save us as we are, you do not leave us as we are. God, we long to be a people who are running hard after you. We long to be a people, God, who are shining a light brightly here in Mountain View and the Bay Area and beyond for the truth and beauty and hope of your gospel. And God, we want to be disciples who make disciples. We can only do that in your power. So we ask that you would empower us to do it. We love you and we want to love you more. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're not going to have a song of response. And this is a time to do business with God, to, to reflect on what this service has been. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there would be no better time than right now to become one of his disciples and start your own journey to that transformation towards maturity that he calls us to. If you do know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you feel like the Spirit is, is, is getting after you this morning about what does discipleship look like in your life, this is a moment to reflect on that and speak with him about it. After the service, I would love to talk to you. One of the elders or our staff people would love to talk to you about what God has been speaking to you in this service. But now, let us respond to him uh, for one last song in worship. Come on, stand to your feet if you can. Join me in this oldie but goodie very fitting song.
Again, just keep your eyes off for that survey from us this week. You just would love to, to get a good picture of uh, who's considering ALCF their home. And uh, please join us after service next week for a family gathering. Now receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Until we meet again or until our Savior comes. And then forever. Amen. You're loved and you're prayed for and you're sent.